0: Hey, how about those specials today? Weren't they great? And the young people stepping up like they have been. Wow. I don't know if they realize how much they really add to the service. So we thank them very much for doing so. Let's humble our hearts before Almighty Yahweh. Almighty Father, we come before you at this time, your Sabbath day, to worship and honor you. We know that each of the things we do and say can be a blessing or can be harmful. So we know that when we do the right things, many will be the benefit of it, and that we can then honor you as well, both in our praise and in our words and in our, in our studies as well. So we thank you that you have given us the opportunity to do that each Sabbath day. We pray that you'll watch over the people, be with those that are healing, those that have had situations and whatever it might be that they've called on you as Yahweh And We know that you will, according to your word, answer their prayers that are said in his name. So we pray now that you will bless this service, be with those that are watching online, and the many who are coming to the knowledge of the truth. And in Yahshua's name we pray, hallelujah. hallelujah. You may see it. You may think it's hot where you are. <laughs> it used to be the, the old-fashioned lights really put out the heat, I'm glad we don't have those anymore. Um, It's been hot. It's been hot in our neck of the woods since uh, May. Um, We've been in the upper 90s almost every day. Once in a while, we'll get a little shower to kind of break the monotony, but not really the temperature. I recall Elder Bob Worrell once say he'd been to Israel many times, he once said, Israel has two seasons, rain and no rain. And uh, we've uh, experienced a little of that uh, this summer. As we know, two divisions make up the Bible. The first called the Old Testament and the second, the New Testament. In the minds of most today, the Old Testament is useful mostly for entertaining children uh, with exploits of Abel and Abraham, Daniel and David, Joshua and Job, Solomon and Samson, The Old Testament is also popular with movie makers, with stories like Moses leading Israel out of Egypt. But let's face it, for purposes of salvation, for living its teachings, most see the Old Testament as passé, not really that useful. And they wonder why we include both Old and New Testament teachings in our teachings and practices. Why? Don't you realize they say that the Old Testament is old? Well, so is our planet, but but what's the point? You know, a little did they realize that where we are positioned in our beliefs here and practices is exactly where the truth resided in the New Testament. In the first century, when Yahshua and the apostles taught and lived the faith. A lot of those teachings have been hidden in plain sight for 2,000 years, including the sacred name, the Sabbath, the feast days. A A lot more, as a matter of fact. And the key importance of the Old Testament is abundantly provable, using, surprising enough, the New Testament. On the flip side, when many teachings today are missing, not just in the Old Testament, but also in the New Testament, Something is rotten, and not just in Denver, Denmark, Denver. (laughs) Well, looking to the news, there's a problem there, too. In the first few hundred years of the New Testament, deviations abounded. They were everywhere. Things were changing. It was crazy. How it happened and why it happened is multifaceted, but it's the reason Yahweh's fundamental New Testament teachings taken right out of the Old Testament look foreign today. The widespread unfamiliarity with these facts leads some to ask, well, what Bible are you reading anyway? I'd never heard of such things that you teach. We respond by challenging them to use theirs, to read theirs. In his book, Early Christian We need a change of batteries here. Maybe a change, maybe a change of speakers. <laughs> Somehow, this, uh, I never have mastered this thing. I want to look at a, a book called uh, Early Christian Doctrines by J.N.D. Kelly. He writes some fascinating things. In his book, he writes, Until the middle of the second century, when Hellenistic ideas began to come to the fore, Christian theology was taking shape in predominantly Jewish molds. Imagine that. And the categories of thought used by almost all Christian writers before the apologists were largely Jewish. Why? Ever ask yourself why? This explains why the teachings of the Apostolic Fathers, for example, while not strictly unorthodox, often strike a strange note when judged by later standards. And it is certain that this Judeo Christian theology continued to have a powerful influence well beyond the second century. Next slide. <laughs> Another uh, quote this is from Kenneth Scott Lateret, a history of Christianity writes It was natural that the first major conflict within the church should be over the issue of whether Christianity should remain within Judaism as one of the many sects of the faith, or whether its genius demanded that it become an independent and distinct religion. You are starting to see a connection here from the beginning? That's quite important to note. In fact, most forget or ignore the critical fact that modern worship had its origins in Judaism. History proves it. Seminaries admit it. All scholars, past and present, know it. The term Judeo-Christian alone shows a clear connection. You ever thought about that? Why do they hyphenate those as if they're connected? Because they are. Add to the fact that the Savior and his apostles were Jews, and you begin to put the New Testament in a whole different perspective. The Old Testament starts to stand out as being very significant and rather than overlooked like the elephant in the living room, you know, when you undermine the foundation, the structure will eventually collapse. Fact, the names, the wording, the grammar, and the idioms in the New Testament show that the New Testament was written in Hebrew originally. That's not what you're going to hear mostly today. They'll say it was Greek. When you look at the text, you look at the, the uh, history behind it, you look at how it's written, it doesn't make any sense. Anymore. Manuscripts found in Hebrew. Just because the oldest manuscripts found of the New Testament are Greek doesn't prove that Greek was the original. It's just that they found them, but never found the others. It's not any more than saying the Old Testament was written in Greek because the oldest available Old Testament, the Septuagint, was in Greek. Doesn't prove anything. Fact, Yahshua the Messiah instructed his apostles to take the truth not to the Gentiles, but to the house of Israel. Why? Why? Matthew ten, five to six, because that's also where our Savior centered his ministry. He went along the Galilee. Remember the, the big scene and all the stories that we have, and the storms came up and The disciples were all scared that they were going to get swamped by the storm and so forth. That's where he was. He was in Israel teaching the word. In Matthew 15, 24, he said, I am not sent but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Because only Israel was given the covenant. They were given the covenant. What about us? We can be grafted in. That's what Romans 9 and 11, Paul says. We can... uh, We can also join it, and that's what we're supposed to do. And so the original New Testament converts, the original ones, were Jewish. They were Hebrews. This is huge. Being that the Old Testament is the fountainhead for the New Testament, do you suppose that the Old Testament just might have a profound influence on New Testament teachings, on things like obeying Yahweh's commands, on things like food that's prohibited to eat? We find Leviticus 11 to worship exclusively of Yahweh the Father. And on the seventh day, he himself rested at creation. You know, without this fundamental fact and this fundamental truth, biblical navigation can easily be aimed in the wrong direction. And yet, many still will think that the Old Testament is irrelevant today, regardless whether our Savior taught it or not. And that's what he taught. He didn't have any other Bible. The disciples had no other Bible. All they had was the Old Testament. They talked about the scriptures. They were talking Old Testament. Right. Paul reminded Timothy in 2 Timothy 3.15 that from a child you have known the Holy Scriptures. Obviously, when Timmy, Timoth, Timmy, Timothy was alive, he didn't have the New Testament. Paul wasn't out there writing away or writing to all these different assemblies. He had the Old Testament. What she says, are able to make you wise unto salvation. Oh, How about that? Through faith which is in Messiah Yahshua, the thirty-nine books, from Genesis through Malachi, were the Old Testament scriptures that they were teaching and preaching. Paul tells Timothy to teach the Old Testament. That's the another element in elephant in the room. John validates this in Revelation 12:17. And the dragon was wroth with a woman. That's the, the false. Uh, assembly and went to make war with the remnant of her seed. What what are the characteristics of the remnant of her seed? He said, "It says to keep, keep the commandments of Yahweh and have the testimony of Yahshua." This is the woman, the true assembly, that had the commandments. And also the testimony of Yahshua. People say, well, I I believe in Yahshua. So do we. We have that testimony that he died for us. We have that testimony. But that doesn't mean, that doesn't negate we're supposed to do something to keep the commandments. Paul surely anticipated some would contend that salvation would only be a New Testament thing. He continues in 2 Timothy 3.16. All Underline, boldface, boldface caps. All scripture is given by inspiration of Yahweh. And it's profitable for what? For doctrine, that's teachings. For reproof and correction, to straighten you out when you're going the wrong direction. For instruction in righteousness. For instruction on how to obey Yahweh. That the man of Elohim may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Now does the New Testament teach that Yahshua... And his ministry wanted the Hebrews to convert to a Latinized, Grecianized faith? Or does it tell us that the fundamentals of the New Testament faith are grounded in the Hebraic beliefs that started were given at the beginning, found in the Old Testament? Well, it's the latter, of course. This means that the Sabbath and feasts and commandments and clean foods and all that remain in effect, which is easily provable in the New Testament, Acts 10. Peter says, for 10 years, I've never eaten anything common or unclean. This is Peter. This is the next big guy after Paul. He says, I've never eaten anything common or unclean. And the lesson of that chapter was that he was not supposed to call any man common or unclean. He had a problem with, with some people. And uh, he was told, by a very distinctive method of clean and unclean, I'm to be abhorring. To a, to a Jew, he would never eat you know, the ham sandwich. But he was, he used, Yahweh used that, uh, the uh, metaphor there to show him you're not supposed to call any human being unclean or common. You find that later on in the chapter. That's what it was about. It wasn't about clean foods. The wise person knows that the Old Testament teachings and their Hebraic roots should permeate worship today. Have you ever uh, engaged someone with the facts who will then, with some sanctimony, say, well, I'm a New Testament believer? Well, so am I. But I don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. I take it both. We take Old and New Testament together. And that's something very uncommon today. Very uncommon. No one should have an elitist attitude once they know why the New Covenant testimony was given. Was initiated. In fact, it's very humbling when you think about it. Let's, let's, let's look into it a minute. So why was the New Testament given? Why was there a change from old to new? The reason we have a New Testament is laid out in Hebrews chapter 8, verse 7. For if that first covenant had been faultless, then should no place have been found for the second. So there was a problem with the first covenant. Oh, I see. So they had to have another one. Well, what's the problem? For finding fault with them. doesn't say with him, with Yahweh. The fault was with the people. Next part. He saith, behold, the days come with Yahweh when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, because they... The Israelites, they, and we see it over and over and over, continue not in my covenant. Yahweh turns his back for a second. Moses goes up the mountain and the people just go nuts with sin. They didn't keep it. And I regarded them not, says Yahweh. At one point he says, okay, Moses, I'm, I'm done with them. I'm starting over with you. I'm going to destroy the whole lot of them. All what? Three, four million people? I'm just going to get rid of them. And Moses says, oh, you better not. If you do, all our enemies will say, well, Yahweh brought his people out to kill him. Well, he was making a statement to Moses how serious it was that the people kept rebelling against him. So he didn't do it, of course. Thankfully, he didn't wipe, wipe them all off the planet. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after these days, says Yahweh. So here we have a new covenant coming. It's talked about in Jeremiah. A new covenant. It's pure covenant, New Testament. I will put my laws into their mind and I'll write them in their hearts. You see, that was the problem. They couldn't keep it. So Yahweh says, I'm going to internalize those laws in those people, and they will keep them as I want them to do. I'll put, I'll put my statutes, my judgments, I'll put my mind into their hearts. And I will be to them an Elohim, and they shall be to me a people. And they shall not teach every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know Yahweh, for all shall know me from the least to the greatest. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness. And their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. So here we have Yahshua coming in. He takes our sins and forgives them that that we deserve, the penalty that we deserve. And he takes care of them for us. That doesn't mean from now on we do what we want. No, if you pay someone's fine, you don't expect them to go back and do the same thing. You expect them to change. And he, he said a new covenant that he made the first old. Now, that which decays and waxes away is ready to vanish away. It's ready to vanish away. It's not going to be totally done until the millennial kingdom. Where did we just read this? In Exodus? Jeremiah? Isaiah? Isaiah? No, in the New Testament book of Hebrews. One covenant for another. The terms are not all that different when you look at it. The fundamentals haven't changed, just a change in logistics, a change in the priesthood. Yahshua becomes the first high priest of the new covenant. Institution of a savior sacrifice in place of animal sacrifices, but sacrifice is still in effect. It's Yahshua's sacrifice we rely on. What did not change? The law is still in effect. In fact, it is now magnified and placed in the heart. The Sabbath remains the seventh day, it hasn't been changed. The feast still in effect and even magnified because Yahshua becomes central to their meaning. He showed us how to do it. I always look at the New Testament and Yahshua's coming as to kind of blaze the trail for us because they were getting, they were all fouled up in the Old Testament. They didn't, you know, the Pharisees and the religious leaders were. were we're twisting everything up to their advantage. And Yasha says, no, no, this is how you're to, to live. This is how you're to live the true faith. And so he did. He had no sin. He had no sin. And if sin is transgressing the laws, he never transgressed a law. He showed us how to do it. Now, we can't meet that standard. No one is able to. But we strive for perfection, Paul says. We strive. We strive. We work at it. We don't just blow it off and say, oh, it doesn't matter. That's Old Testament or something like that. Certain observances were adopted from the pagans because of a failure to adhere to the Bible. And the people went along because they didn't know better. They didn't know the scriptures in the early years, the first 300 years. It's explained in the history of the church through the ages. Page 21 The answer is found in the failure of those who were the people. To know what Yahweh's word taught. Lack of this knowledge made it possible to introduce a new doctrines, new practices into the teaching and worship of the church. The apostasy of the church and the corruption of the gospel resulted from neglect of the church to study Yahweh's word. That's how it happened. People were ignorant. If they had known, they would say, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. That's, that's not what uh, Exodus says. That's not what Jeremiah says. Wait a minute, we can't do that. The false teachers who introduced these new doctrines, I'll talk about them in a minute, were called heretics. And what they taught was called heresy. Now heresy is is a Greek word, and it means choice. For one to be a follower of heresy implies that instead of believing what the scriptures teach, he chooses for himself what he wants to believe. Remember somebody was arguing about some point of uh, scripture, and and the, uh, the guy on the other line says, well, That's not what it means to me. Oh, but I want to know what it means in the scriptures, not to you. Because I'm not going to have to answer to you. I'm going to have to answer to the judge. So you better find out if it's right or wrong and not just say, well, that's not what I I, I care to to believe. Um, Anyway, in this period of time following the apostolic age, heretics were also called Gnostics. Gnostics starts with a G. You wouldn't think it, it sounded like that, but that's, what, uh, that's uh, the silent G. A word that signifies knowledge. They had higher knowledge. It's, we got higher knowledge. We're Gnostics. Listen to this. These men profess to know more than those who accepted the scriptures as the only safe guide. Even at the close of the apostolic age, the Gnostics were beginning to be influenced in the Christian Influential, I mean, in the Christian communities. Their teaching was often a combination of Jewish, pagan ideas combined with the faith of Messiah. Well, you talk about a mix-up. But you see, that's how they attracted so many people. The Gnostics were strong back then. They were gaining, they were gaining in power and, and, and people because they used every means available to draw them in. Now, people shouldn't bear the lion's share of the blame for neglecting the word and falling for apostasy because the scriptures were literally literally taken out of their hands. And when they did have access to the scriptures, they were in Latin. Well, that didn't help. The Old Testament was the only scripture Joshua and his disciples based their ministries on, quoted from, taught from, and accepted as truth. Why? Because, that, again, that's all they had. Now, Yeshua did show how to apply those scriptures in a better way than perhaps had been done before. He shows us by his teachings. Paul shows us by his going to all the different assemblies all over the Mediterranean there and up into Macedonia and all the way to Greece and Rome and he uh, he showed us how to apply the scriptures. And so that's what we use today. We can use the same teachings. We, uh, we're st- we just finished up Romans in the Bible study. And uh, another comment on that in a minute. So imagine Joshua, after teaching three, three and a half years of obedience to the Sabbath, the feasts, and commandments. He kept them all. He did it all. You can look in the New Testament. It's all there. Leading and showing the, na- the same by his own example, his own perfect example. And at the final day before he's impaled, he says, now, brethren, because you are Jewish Israelites, do this for now. But once I give my instructions to the Apostle Paul, when I knocked him down on his high horse or camel or wherever it was uh, on their way to Damascus, about all the joy. Ch- so he just wasted three and some half years for nothing, because it's all going to change. I didn't just pay for your sins, but I will also be your total stand-in when it comes to following the word. So all you need to do is live by faith. That's all you need. Now about the Ten Commandments, people wonder, well, should I obey them or not? We still hear that today. I mean, the Ten Commandments, I mean, you know, that's Moses. Uh, Should I obey them or not? Well, you shouldn't really break them, our mythical Yahshua says. Uh, except for the fourth one, uh, let, that one you have to worry about. Lying, stealing, and killing, are just, they're not a good idea. But just let your conscience be your guide. Remember, you are now under grace, so just be kind to babies and stray dogs, and you'll be good to go. What I'm saying is that you can disregard my three and a half years of diligent daily teaching my Father's will, as I said in John 12, 49 to 50. And you can ignore what Paul We'll soon write in chapter 8, verse 4 of his letter to the Romans that the righteousness of the law is fulfilled in us. In us. Ignore that verse. I, I, I did it all for you. I am your righteousness. So, so, by the way, when you stand before me in the judgment, I'll be judging myself and not you. And one more thing. When you read Revelation twenty two fourteen, 14, where I inspired John to say that those who keep the commandments have right to salvation, well, I'll just cross that verse out. The fact is, Paul and the other apostles continue teaching and practicing obedience through their whole ministries. Obedience to Yahweh. Yeah, that's what Yahweh wants. But few are going to admit that. They're afraid they're going to drive their flocks away if they do that. They just... Twist key passages and avoid the preponderance of verses that contradict their twist. Again, in the history of the church through the ages, before their death the apostle admonished everyone to keep the body of Messiah pure by continuing in biblical teachings, Paul wrote, Wherefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions that you have been taught, whether by word or our epistle. Second Thessalonians 2.15. Traditions that came from where? what's he talking about from the only bible that existed and we know what that is at our sabbath study a few weeks ago we learned in romans how paul gives instruction and doctrine and it's kind of a refrain that he he goes through you see it over and over followed by such words as therefore i beseech you I beseech you that you walk worthy. I beseech you how you are to walk and to please Yahweh. I beseech you to be followers of me. This is after he explains the teachings of the word. Then he says what? Do it. Do it. I beseech you, go out and do it. Present your bodies a living sacrifice. Paul never gave up beseeching. In other words, he gave the teaching followed by, now go ahead, put it to practice. And that... Most everybody is the hard part. We have to admit, it's not easy. It's the most neglected part of the scriptures. A minister heard his son give a message one Sabbath. Afterward, he went up to him and said, you know, you give a pretty good message, but you didn't make application. You didn't make application. In other words, you didn't tell your listeners how to apply your message to their lives. He had neglected the how and why that they needed in order, now do it. To do, now do it. Without application, a teaching is not much more than facts on file. Informational, perhaps, but not transformational. It's gotta make an impact in people's lives. This is what Paul was saying. His caveats to hold the traditions taught in the Old Testament weren't taken to heart. He had to keep going back, especially to the Corinthians. They had had big problems there in that assembly. Had to keep going back and straightening them out because they kept deviating, going the wrong direction. He must have got so tired of it. Just to get there was a problem. Shipwrecked, thrown in jail, had to write his letters in jail. There's like four or five epistles that he wrote in jail, uh, being stoned. And he had to do all this, and the people just kind of blew it off did whatever they wanted to anyway, and they kept going back, going back, going back. Deviations that began in the 3rd century would grow into wholesale departures from Scripture. And that's easy to show. I'll just mention some of the history. On the flip side, doctrines and practices completely alien to the Scriptures were introduced by converts from pagan religions and became embraced Corruption of the truth resulted from the neglect to study the word, to stand by Yahweh's word. It's the same today, brethren. What we see happening in our world is a result of people not preaching the word anymore. They've dropped the ball. And guess what happens? When I was growing up in the 60s, uh, 70s, there were still people going out there preaching fire and brimstone. And I mean some of these guys were very effective. They had people shaking in their pews, knowing what's coming, if they didn't straighten up. But I'll tell you what, you had enough of those people doing that, the culture changed. We didn't have random shootings every week. We didn't have drugs and and all these other sins that are going on in our world. All these break-ins, in right in broad daylight, breaking into a store and walking out with stuff and... Don't worry about it. Don't worry about getting arrested. You didn't have that back then because people had a a fear of Yahweh. The Bible is the most published book in history and the least followed. Why are truth seekers relatively small in number and megachurches so big? Because we try to learn and prove the word and then apply it. I guess others just don't see the need. At least, not until Judgment Day. It also means changing one's life, and few people want to do that. They're happy the world they are. They're happy with the status quo. They're happy in their skin. They're not gonna. Why would I change? Just cause all sorts of turmoil in my life to go a different direction from the world? I'll just flow with the world. You know, like the like the the, the fish in the, in the in the in the river, just taking whatever comes by, not going anywhere, just sitting there. And, You know, to change one's life, uh, how much does Yahweh want them serving him in his kingdom when they won't serve him now? Think he's going to accept that? Are you kidding me? In Luke 14.26, Yasha gave a sobering pronouncement that most won't be able to accept. Quote, if any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, his own life also, he cannot me be my disciple. Well, that really means love less. If you don't put me first before family and friends, you can't be my disciple. If you can't love me more, it, isn't, it doesn't really mean hate. That's a bad translation. If you don't do that, if you can't put me first, then how can you be my disciple? In other words, you've got to be Yahshua's before all. To choose Yahshua before family and even your life. Paul says, I'm ready to die. I'm ready to go at any time. Yahweh's done with me. I'm ready to go. Well, that's a bridge way too far for most, and I'd, I can see why. At YRM, we've spent decades sifting out truth from error. We see the serious contradictions, the non-sequiturs, the teachings pulled from man-made traditions that aren't in Scripture. And why would we want to follow them? Because a lot of that is from heathen worship. Why are so many of Yahshua's teachings ignored? you ever asked yourself that? Some Reformed churches have historically been opposed to observing man-made church holidays. I ran across this. This is from the pilgrims, you know, the people in the Mayflower and came over here uh, for religious reasons. This is what they said in a writing called the Perth Assembly. I had the correct names, by the way. There is no power, either civil or ecclesiastical, can make an holy day. No king, no Kirk. Kirk is a, a Scottish name for church. Only the master that made the day and distinguished it from the night, he has sanctified the seventh day. If the special sanctification of a day to unholy use depended upon Yahweh's commandment and institution, then neither king nor kirk, representative may make a holy day. A Presbyterian website said this, Yahweh alone has the prerogative and authority to set apart a special day of worship and rest. A lot of our christians eyes are being opened our, our christian friends eyes we already see conflict in the acts 15 debate the uh, rabbinical jews are trying to redirect the new converts back into judaism and they did it through circumcision and they came to the apostles and there was a big uproar what do we do are we supposed to circumcise or not we're in the new testament now what do we do what do we do well the apostles had a problem figuring it out. If the Old Testament with its Jewish worship were dead and buried and replaced by uh, a whole new way, then why did the apostles struggle to find an answer to this question? They've been blindsided by something that they weren't sure of. Why didn't they say, hey, fellas, (laughs) that's Old Testament, don't you know? That's in the Old Testament. We don't follow that now. But in verse 7, we read that there was much debating over the circumcision question. The resolution was not cut and dried. And they even had to assemble a council of elders back in Jerusalem to solve the problem. Well, Paul says, I guess the result was, Paul says it doesn't matter. Either way, you can go either way. Circumcision is not going to get you into the kingdom. Uncircumcision is not going to get you into the kingdom. It's circumcision of the heart, the willingness to follow. That's the love Yahweh's looking for, like David had, a man after his own heart. You ask, well, how could David do what he did, kill a man, and then commit adultery, and, and, uh, and Yahweh still? Well, David suffered, believe me. It wasn't easy street from that point on. He suffered terribly. His family, uh, although there was all sorts of, just read it, all the things that happened. The baby died. Um, it wasn't easy, but Yahweh forgave him, and will give him a, a key role in the coming millennium. Why? Because he said he was after my own heart. He had a heart for Yahweh. When he was approached by Nathan the prophet and says, you are that man, he didn't say, it's her fault. She She made me do it. She shouldn't have been out there undressed like she was. It's her fault. He fell right down on his knees. He knew. He knew he was caught. He was busted, as they say. And he repented. He wrote some beautiful psalms after that. There was much debating about this. Because why? Because the Old Testament was still being observed. Remember it says it was ready to pass away, the Old Covenant? On many levels. It's the constitution of the scriptures, the constitution of the world. Without it, we could not understand creation itself. Read Genesis, read Job 38, Isaiah 42, Isaiah 48. What other book in history lays it all out for us? And from the beginning, and then tells us how to live, and tells us what's wrong with us. What other book does that? Find a Greek e- epic that does that. Or a philosopher, a Roman mythology that can tell you that. The Old Testament is so resplendent that its truths interlace with creation and the universe itself. I was always impressed with Isaac Newton. He was a scientific genius above all. This guy was so smart, he invented calculus because algebra and trigonometry weren't powerful enough to describe motion and deal with motion, objects in motion. Besides his inventive brilliance, he was also a theologian of sorts who believed the scriptures were truly Yahweh's word. In the 1700s, people thought the apocalypse was coming. It's almost here what are we going to do? The end is near. So he sits down. He takes prophecy, the book of Daniel, other prophets, prophets and what they said about the end times. And he claimed that the world, the universe is a mathematical structure. And he gave us minds, Yahweh gave us minds to understand that structure. Very orderly in design. And it can only have been done by the majesty of Yahweh. So anyway, as a mathematician as it was, he said that the end was not going to happen before 2060. 2060. That's uh, just a few decades from us. That's what he thought. He was convinced that Yahweh made the universe. And he worked it out with his pencil, I guess, about, uh, I don't know how he did it, but... I'd someday like to know how he did it, where he came to that, why he came to that conclusion. Well, Paul wrote in uh, Romans 1:20, "For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and majesty, so that they are without excuse." He said, "You can look at creation and you can tell there's a creator. It's so complex. Take any aspect of it, any aspect of creation, and find out how." Complex and how orderly and how perfect and how well designed it is. He knew that nothing comes into existence apart from Yahweh. He understood that the greatness and power of Yahweh is beyond our finite comprehension. Our minds can't go that far. All we can do is be amazed and take Yahweh's word and believe it. He said, I must confess to a feeling of profound humility in the presence of a universe which transcends us at almost every point. I feel like a child while playing by the seashore has found a few bright colored shells and a few pebbles while the whole vast ocean of truth stretches out almost untouched and unruffled ruffled before my eager fingers. The scriptures talk a great deal about the majesty of Yahweh, especially King David in his Psalms. David, he was deeply moved by Yahweh's power. You could tell by his psalms that, I mean, this guy poured out his heart when he describes Almighty Yahweh. He had a profound love for him. Psalm 145.3 says, Great is Yahweh, and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. I like to read Job 40, verse 2, where Yahweh speaks it directly to evolutionists. Shall he that contendeth with the Almighty instruct him? He that reproveth Yahweh, let him answer it. He's telling Job. Let the scientific know-it-alls explain how the universe functions and how it's kept in order the way it has been for many, many thousands of years. How gravity works, how black holes exist, and the miracle of the dividing zygote to create a human being. The functioning of the genetic code, they're still working at that, trying to figure out how it works, how we can delve into how the body is made through the genetics, chromosomes and so forth. And the miraculous design of our human body systems, numerous ecological systems in balance, in harmony to sustain life, and then explain, well... (laughs) It all came about by itself. Evolutionists cry uncle by giving the most harebrained response imaginable. It all happened with nothing, by nothing, through nothing, without any intelligence behind it. That's the response of a four year old. Yahweh says these esteemed brains are folly, they collapse. They don't even put up a fight. They just say nothing created everything. And as they dodge behind billions and billions of years, that's how it happened. Given enough time, things have put themselves together like this. That's the only explanation that you can come up with if you take Yahweh out of the creation. That's the only thing you can come up with. He's not there. How did it happen? just happened by itself. What an ignorant fantasy. That's a secular religion. That's what it is. It's a secular religion. Even Charles Darwin had serious doubts that it happened. He even made some statements that shocked people when he puts doubts in, well, I I believe this is how it works. Any rational brain would conclude that a vastly superior intellect had to have done it, had to have done it, and given us everything we need on this earth to survive and to live for 70 plus years. That just happened. You know, speaking of that, I was reading how uh, you know everything is climate change. It used to be uh, temperature change or whatever they called it. Now it's it's climate it change, climate change. And scientists have looked out into the universe with their big, powerful power, telescope, and guess what? They found millions of planets just like ours that are undergoing the same cyclical change that they call climate change now how did we affect that it's a natural phenomenon that happens all the time in planets just like ours where there's no people who affected the climate change the story still sometimes repeated in creationist circles goes like this It's the 1960s at NASA's Goddard, note the name, Space Flight Center in Maryland. And a team of astronomers is using cutting-edge computers to recreate the orbits of the planets thousands of years in the past. Suddenly, an error message flashes up. There's a blip. Way back in history, one whole day appears to be missing. The scientists are baffled until a member of the team dimly recalls something and rushes to fetch a Bible. He thumbs through to Joshua chapter 10, verse 13, where Joshua asks Yahweh to stop the world for about a day. Uproar in the computer lab. The astronomers have happened upon proof that Yahweh controls the universe on a day-to-day basis, that the Bible is literally true, and here at last is scientific proof. The reason most people do not obey Yahweh is that they don't know him, and that means they don't fear him. To many, he's just an amorphous cloud, a caricature of father time with his, with his sigh to his side and a hourglass in his arm. That's how they think of Yahweh, long beard, long hair, long beard. They just don't fear Yahweh. They can't fathom his breathtaking magnificence and mortifying power. You know, we would all be instantly smoldered to ashes in his presence if we stood before him. Instantly. We humans are small, we're weak, and we're finite. And we think small, and we think finitely. We can't comprehend the infinity of this universe. The infinity, the eternity, the omniscience, and omnipresence of Yahweh himself. We can't. We're like we're like the turtle in the box. Here we are on this earth. There's a box. And there's sides on both all four sides of the box. Can't see over it. All we know is what we see in the box. And yet we think we know all the answers. Science says we can understand the universe. <laughs> we can't even understand ourselves. We can't understand a creator who has no beginning or ending. We don't Think outside the box because we exist in a box constrained by a physical existence in a physical universe with insurmountable boundaries. And there's always this idea that there could be many dimensions going on in our world. We can't see them because we're in this dimension. But like my dad used to say, there could be a railroad train running right through here. We'd never know it in another dimension. I mean, Yahweh's power is limitless. Who knows? But Yahweh gave us these limitations for a reason. Imagine what a man would do with far greater unbridled power like was given Hasatan before his fall. We give children boundaries to keep them safe, to keep them secure, and they want boundaries. When you throw out the the boundaries, the kids don't know what to do. So they test you to see if you're going to... Stick to your word. Tell them, no, you can't do that. Like I said before, you're not going to do that. Or we just kind of forget about it. Let them go out and get get hurt or whatever. Yahweh gives us his laws to see how we adhere to them now before we advance one day to a much greater role of teaching others, as we find in Isaiah. He wants to know whether we will conform to his character, his standards, his morality. Those who resist by refusing will not obey, will not conform to scripture. They fail the loyalty test. They put self before Yahweh. Just as did guess who? The first sinner on earth. Hasatan. Yahweh's will and his word make no mistake. What he tells us he wants, that's what he wants. What you do with it proves what you want. The reason people don't know, let alone obey the scripture, is because they despise wisdom and instruction. (laughs) They don't care. So, here we are. Horrendous acts of mass murder. Strangers coming in, doing things they know are wrong because the police won't arrest them that's what's happening in our world i don't know maybe we can't get past this maybe this is it i was listening to one preacher he says it's too late it's too late for our country all we can do is get ourselves ready i don't know we'll see we'll see what yahweh's plan is did the bible ever change no the bible hasn't changed neither did yahweh Yahweh said in Malachi 3.6 that he doesn't change. You can count on him. He isn't going to change his mind. So he never gave us any new replacements. The way the Bible is approached has definitely changed, however, in the hearts of the people. It's been watered down to the point of powerlessness. Sad to say. No wonder so many don't take it to worship services with them. They don't need to, I guess. Is it being preached? Timothy is told in Second Timothy 4.2 to preach the word. Preach the word. Preach the word. Be instant, in season, out of season. Whenever. Whenever it's convenient and whenever it's not convenient, preach the word. You never know who's listening. Who's out there. Maybe they heard you say something about Yahweh. Maybe they heard you say something about, about the Bible, or whatever aspect it was. They say, wait a minute, I've heard somebody say that before. You know, human nature is kind of, kind of weird. Uh, they need sometimes two or three exposures to something before they believe it. That's what mom and dad say. But when a friend's mom and dad say it, or a teacher might say it, whoa, now their ears perk up. Hey. For salvation's sake, and because what we see in society, change needs to happen, at least with us. What if, if, just think about that. What if there were a real return to the Bible in our time? What a different society we would see. What if people treated the Bible like they do their cell phones? What if we couldn't live without it? What if we spent an hour or more using it every day? What if we carried it with us everywhere and turned back when we forgot it? What if We checked it for messages throughout the day. What if we used it for emergencies? The only thing that's going to rescue this world from its sin is an old-fashioned revival, a return, a restoring. I guess that's why we call ourselves a restoration ministry, trying to restore what was lost for the last 2,000 years. Try to restore it, the word. A desire to live by biblical teachings again, wouldn't that be wonderful? All the problems we have in society, the moral, spiritual issues would be solved. But I don't have a great hope for that, looking at prophecy. Acts 2.38, Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Yahshua the Messiah, for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are far off, even as many as Yahweh our Elohim shall call. And with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, save yourselves from this untoward generation. I guess that's the message today. We have a chance to save ourselves, to turn things around, at least in our own lives, if we're going the wrong direction. We have a chance to do that. The time we have now, once Yasha returns, it's too late. You can't say, wait a minute, wait a minute. Rewind, would you? I got some things I got to straighten out. It's too late. I'm here now. The record of your life is now written and you have to stand by it. I think of that a lot. I think of it a lot. You know, Yahweh can record and he talks about, he can go back and look at your life and see what you did. Boy, that, that's kind of scary, you know. Think about it. Some of the things you did when you were younger and, But you didn't know better. And he excuses ignorance. But once you have the understanding, there's no excuse. Now you're held accountable. So Yahweh's word, the entire thing, has answers to this life and also to the next. It's the maker's manual to our lives. And we cannot ever dispose with any of it. Not in our lives, not in our worship. May Yahweh bless you.